Welcome to Golf Better at Edwin Watts Golf. Episode 110. Hello everyone, my name is Tom Brissell. Thanks so much for joining us. Whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time subscriber to the show, either way, we're glad you're with us. With me is technical specialist Kenny Nicholson. And Kenny, earlier this year we had a guest on and the response was just so overwhelming, we've decided to bring him back. And I'm going to let you do the introduction. Yeah, we had Barney Adams on earlier in the year talking about the new family of products coming out of Dallas, Texas there with the Adams Golf uh, people and joining us again to talk about you know his uh, evolution in the golf industry. Uh, something I definitely want to learn about is Mr. Barney Adams. Barney, how are you today? Morning, guys. Nice to speak to you again. Oh, it's great speaking with you. And this, We had a great conversation with you earlier in the year about the new line from Adams, but we dove in a little deeper, started reading the bios and talked to other people, and they said, you need to talk to Barney about his life in golf because, boy, what a, what a story it is. I think it was 1987 was the beginning, right? It was the beginning, and this is not a plug because I don't think there's any around anymore, but it's on Kindle. There's a book called The Wow Factor, which I wrote. And what I mean by that is I didn't – it was not as dictated to or as note taken by. I wrote it myself about my life in the golf industry, but it's more its more of a business book for small business with golf being the feature if anybody really wants to, you know, wants to read the fine print. Yeah, that was on the Adams uh, Golf website, the Rags to Riches story. It was a, uh, had a plug right there for it. It said, click here to order. Actually, um, before 87, I used to work with a, a well-known name, uh, Dave Pels. And one of the ironies is, is that uh, recently Adams Golf, acquired Yes Putters, and I talked to the uh, designer from Yes who came as part of the deal, and I said, I'm going to be your worst nightmare, and he said, why? I said, because I spent two years of my life studying putters, and uh, we've never made one, so i got a whole bunch of stuff I want to do. (laughs) 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 He got this stricken look on his face. He didn't know I was just kidding him, but yeah, I started in 87. it was, it was one of those decisions that probably should never have been made. I didn't have an idea for a product. I didn't have any funds to start with. I just had this uh, passion to be in the golf business. And that's what kept me going. I mean, if I look back on it, if you're going to ask me how I survived, I can't tell you. I, I made a little bit of stuff, sold a little bit of stuff, was always on the brink of going bankrupt every day. Um, Started it in Abilene, Texas, moved it to Dallas in 1991, and it was funny because literally as I was moving to Dallas, I was reading about uh, Hank Haney opening his new golf ranch, his teaching facility, and I knew, or don't ask me how or why, but I knew that Hank and I were going to end up working together. Just one of these weird thoughts. And shortly after I got to Dallas, I went out to look at the place, and I met Hank, and while I was standing there, I said, hey, look, i got an idea. Why don't I custom, <clears throat> why don't I custom fit out here? It'll provide an extra service for your customers and so on and so forth. Well, as it turned out, uh, he was thinking something along the same lines. He said, that's a good idea. Um, we shook hands, and I had a little shop in the Haney Ranch where I did repairs and uh, sold Adam's product and so on. Now, you would think, or at least I thought, that once I started selling at the Haney Ranch, I would now be able to increase my sales. And I was wrong. And I had the same uh, resistance 
that I had when I tried to sell in Abilene, Texas. We were a no-name brand. We didn't have any visible technology. We didn't have this. We didn't have that, whatever it was, you know, too long, too short, too fat, too thin, et cetera, et cetera. So I just thought by moving to a golfy type of place like the Haney Ranch that things were going to improve, but they, they, they didn't change. Then I started selling the service of custom-fitted golf clubs. And when I started selling a service rather than a product, I was now able to make some sales. So things started. But what I learned from that is that to do the job right, I really wasn't in the business of selling custom-fitted golf clubs. I was in the business of improving ball flight. And when you think that way, it's a whole different ballgame. Because if I'm going to custom-fit one of you guys, and I take my custom-fitting clubs, and I'll do as good a job as I can with the clubs I have to, custom, to fit them to your golf swing. But if I'm watching your ball flight, and I determine that I'm not improving your ball flight as much as I should be, then I've got to look at my tools. I've got to improve the tools that I'm fitting you with. That's what happened to me when I would watch people try and hit the ball off the ground, especially for some distance. And I determined that the tools I had for the job, whether they were my long irons or my fairway woods, weren't doing the job. So one night... I went home, and uh, instead of, uh, in fact, on the way home, instead of going home, I detoured. I went back to the little shop where we made clubs and sketched out a club that, that just sort of came to me. Now, when I, when I say that, I've been experimenting with clubs and designs and ball flight and so on and so forth, and it just sort of all came together. I had a very good friend uh, who just passed away now, a songwriter by the name of Mickey Newberry, one of my all-time favorites. And I asked him one time how you write a song. And he just he pointed at his head and he said, he said, Barney, it's all up there. He said, sometimes it just comes out. Well, that's the way this was. It, it, what, what I designed on a yellow pad was a club, and I wrote down as I was designing it the name Tight Lies because I could just vision how this club was going to hit a golf ball and how it was going to be a better tool for my customers and so on and so forth. Got some samples in a few weeks later. Took them back to the Haney Ranch, had people hit them, and they worked. And that, to me, was the end. I was just had a better tool for my fitting system, and to me that was the end of the story. Except, of course, it was the beginning of the story. Because what happened was customers who bought them and played with them and other people saw them now started calling our little shop. Hey, I played with so-and-so the other day, and he's got this club. i got to get me one of those. So all of a sudden, our business took on a new light, like maybe we had a product that had commercial appeal. And we started marketing the tight lies, albeit with no money and on a very limited basis and so on and so forth. In fact, quite frankly, one of the first places I ever introduced it was Edwin Watson, Sand Hill Road. And... I remember the store manager, I forget his name, that was a long time ago, uh, it would have been 1995, 96, had never heard of me, never heard of the golf club. The club looked kind of weird. But, uh, you know, he let me show it to some people in the store, and a couple people bought one, and, you know, that, that, that's kind of the way things went. It was a pretty low-key operation. But we actually picked up sales. And then one day I was sitting at our little shop, and uh, we had one phone, 
And the rule was it was ever closest to the phone answer because when he had three or four employees. <laughs> and I got a call from this guy out in California who had actually bought some product. He says, I'm going to send it back. And I'm, like, shocked. I mean, what do you mean you're going to send it back? I mean, people love the club if I could ever get them in anybody's hands. He said, well, that's a great club. I play it by – I remember this conversation clear as a bell. He said, I, I, I love the club. I play it myself. But nobody comes in and asks for it. He said, you know, you guys aren't marketing this product. And it was, you know, like somebody hit me over the head with a hammer. It was like, yeah, duh. He's right. If we don't do something about this product in a marketing sense, we're going to lose it. The window's going to close. So we started thinking about what can we do to expand the potential scope for selling the tight lives. And among other things, I went to four uh, different golf equipment companies that were sound companies in business at the time and uh, showed them the club, had introductions to the right people, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, tried to do a joint venture with them and got turned out by everybody. Uh, virtually everything I tried didn't work, to make a long story short. And one of my customers at the Haney Ranch was involved with a uh, physical fitness infomercial. And it was in the earlier days of infomercials. And I remember his, always remember him telling me the stories about how powerful they were and how well they worked and so on and so forth. And there had been one in golf for the Alien Wedge, which was pretty successful. So I thought, why not the tight lies? And I investigated the world of infomercials, and I learned several things. Number one is, um, shall we say politely, don't always believe everything you see on television. <laughs> uh, they are marketing shows. And so my, de my determination was that if we did one, uh, there would be no... Um, shall we say, exaggeration. We were going to, it was, whatever we did was going to be the way things were. You'd be surprised how many conversations I had with the infomercial company <laughs> trying to get that across. This just, this just wasn't the way things were done at that time, but that was the way we did it. Anyway, the bottom line was to get a successful infomercial on the air, get it marketed, tested, market tested, et cetera, was going to cost around four or $500,000. Uh, to me, at that time, it might have cost might as well have been four or five million dollars because I didn't have any money. I had some investors, but you know we were hardly a success as a company. So I, I called a meeting. I told them that I felt that we were at a critical juncture with this product. That I had great faith in the product. I wanted to do a TV infomercial. I wasn't sure. Uh, you know, with, there was no guarantee. I told them how much it would cost, and I told them if they would put up the money, I would give them Adam's Golf, all of it. And in return, I presented a performance chart that if we did X sales over Y period of time, I could earn back the interest in the company that I was giving up. Uh, they were kind of shocked at this, that I would be willing to take such a risk. Because at the time our sales were over a million dollars a year, that was that was all I had. I mean, I didn't I didn't have any other assets. But they said that if I believed in the company that much, that they would put up the money. That's what happened. It went on to become the largest golf infomercial for golf clubs of all time. 
probably since been broken because I haven't been following it in later years, but at the time, that's what it was. And correct me if I'm wrong, Barney, but not long after that, from what I was told, tour players started putting that club in their bag without being paid. Am I correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, one of the great, we still have the picture, one of the great pictures was a picture of Tom Watson at the Masters. And it just so happened that the camera angle caught the tight line. The head cover was off in his bag. Yeah, it was. Great. I mean, you can't pay for stuff like that. Yeah, it was. It was a. It was a. It just became a phenomenon. I, I don't know how to describe it any other way. I mean, tour players used it. Amateurs used it. It was just one of those things. It was just uh, celebrities. We got calls from celebrities all over, literally all over the world. I always remember the day that Sean Connery called, wanted to get a club for himself. And every girl in the building stopped working. You know, all the, all the, <laughs> they all wanted to listen to the phone call. Hey, I, I remember it specifically because uh, I worked that day. And uh, Carrie Cabase, one of the buyers, was like, look, there's an infomercial for a product. You know, it could be hot. So you guys be ready for, for the weekend or what have you. And back then we had to, we hand wrote order cards. We, didn't, we weren't on computer systems here. Needless to say, we started preparing our order cards midway through the day with already Adam's tight lie, handwritten, just waiting for the customer to call in because it literally took the golf industry by storm overnight. Yeah, one of my favorite comments, by the way, is I remember one retailer telling me, he said, you know, he says, we didn't even display them. We just kept them at the counter. Exactly. I mean, that's people how it was for us. For we, we literally had the cards written out waiting for people to call. So the big question I have is, did you earn the interest back? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure you did. Yeah, it worked out. You know, it was. But I'll tell you a true story. Um, you know, there was a gap between when I made that deal with the investors and when the show came out and we got the results. And you know, of several months, I probably had I don't know how many months it was four to six months worth of nightmares, and they were always the same: some precarious situation at the edge of the cliff, blah blah, whatever the heck it was. And they all ended badly, you know, with me falling off or something like that. Then I'd wake up in a cold sweat. Well, you know, it was fear of failure, obviously. But that was one of the <laughs> unforeseen uh, incidents that, that came along with the, with the whole program. A risk yeah. well worth taking. Yeah, as it turned out, sure. Yeah, it was, it was a great deal. And then after that, um, you know, it was a funny thing. Uh, uh, when the tight lies was really popular, our sales went from under a million dollars to over $85 million in less than three years. It was a phenomenon. And you can't manage that kind of growth. I mean, you just kind of hang on and hope for the best. And magazines were calling and, you know, we want to do your story. We were in books. We were in college marketing courses. You know, I went from a, a complete obscurity to a very smart guy overnight. Uh, we got all kinds of accolades. Wall Street came pounding out our door, this is the perfect time, you need to go public in the marketplace, which we did, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Ten days after our very successful public offering, Callaway Golf missed their numbers and put out a press release that said that the golf industry on the equipment side was headed for tough times. Their stock went down by 60% overnight Ours went down by like 40%, and we had just come out. And I went from being very smart to pretty dumb in a period of about two weeks because 
the industry, and as you guys know, you were in it, uh, took a solid right to the jaw. And uh, it was a good thing that we learned how to survive during tough times because things got pretty ugly for a while. But fortunately, we, uh, we picked up some very good people along the way, and we weathered the storm. And, and now we have a, a solid company with very good people, and we have an excellent culture. Um, it's kind of a tight-wise type of culture in as much as it's, it's dedicated to uh, bringing products to the consumer that, that help their golf game. Barney, when did you decide to retire? You said you're living the life of demo days and leisure now. When did you step away? I don't, you know, I don't actually remember, um, but I'm going to guess 2002 or something like that. Uh, we brought in Chip Brewer um, to, to run our sales group, and then, um, and, and frankly, um, at the time, I, was, I, I think I was starting to get a little tired because during those previous, you know, ten years, and then the years when we were when we grew so fast, you know, I would work as long as I could stay awake. And there just comes a time when uh, uh, you, you lose some efficiency. And plus the fact that the company started to grow, uh, it needed a, a skill set that I was not very good at, and that's you know, the, the corporate organization, the meetings, the planning, and so on. You know, I was pretty much a seat-of-the-pants guy, and Chip was a perfect uh, person to move into that next stage, so to speak. So it was, it was time. And I, I had worked in the Silicon Valley many, many years ago, and I saw a lot of entrepreneurial-based companies uh, start well and end poorly because the guy that started it wouldn't get out of the way. And I was always aware of that, so I figured what the heck it was time. Well, the man is Barney Adams, the founder of Adams Golf. The book is The Wow Factor, the true rags-to-riches story. I'm Barney Adams, and Barney, thanks so much for taking time with us again. It's it's fun talking with you, and uh, there's nothing like being motivated by a story like that. Thanks again. Thank Bye-bye. you, Barney. Have a great day. Well, thanks again to Adams Golf and Barney Adams, the founder of Adams Golf, for taking that time with us. Kenny, thanks so much for jumping in again, and we'll do it again next week. Yeah, I absolutely enjoyed it. Again, come back next week when we have another exciting episode of Golf Better at edwinwattsgolf.com. So long, everyone.